Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to ours and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. And here we are, live from the studios of Our Common Ground in Uptown Beantown. Thank you for being with us. This is Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I did miss you last week. I certainly did. Uh, I was down in the, the capital city of the United States gawking um, at the center of power of the world and contemplating as I passed each of the major centers and pulse of our nation's capital wondering what the hell I'm um amazed at at how rapidly we have become the laughing stock of the world in this game called democracy tonight at our common ground you are not going to de- be disappointed. Our guest is Chauncey Devaga. He is the mysterious Chicago-based Mr. Devaga. He writes for Alternet and Salon. 
He is the founder of the blog and the tribe, We Are Respectable Negroes. Chauncey DeVaga is a pseudonym. His autobiographical framework poses that he is a race man in progress. And occasionally... Um, a bit cynical. He's also a resplendent purveyor of Negro wisdom and collector of black wit. He says that he is the holder of the sacred chalice of the ghetto nerds and a believer in black pragmatism and the glories of black freedom struggle. He is a speaker for the tribe known as We Are Respectable Negroes, and I'm thinking sometimes that perhaps I am a member of that my, my tribe as well. I was thinking about who Chauncey DeVaga might be, and I read his blog regularly, like I check every two days. The same with my dear friend Playthel Benjamin to see what they are thinking about the event of the day, and I was thinking, who exactly is this Chauncey DeVaga? And I must go on a research journey to try to pick up some clues. It's very mysterious. I thought at first, well, maybe he might be Tavis Smiley trying to be forgiven, and then I thought, nah, Tavis can't write this well. And uh, then I thought, well, maybe he's Clarence Thomas in drag or Oprah longing to claim her roots. But no matter who he turns out to be, he speaks for folks who are just a little angry. And you know what happens when we get angry. It may appear that we are the same he says, but as you will see, we are actually quite different. He writes that we are respectable Negroes is waggishly described as an outlet for happy, non-threatening colored folks, even in the age of Obama. And I'll be telling you more before he joins us just about who he is. Our number is 347-838-9852, and you need to write it down because you as well can join in with me in this conversation with Chauncey DeVaga. Also, in our second hour tonight, we are going to take some time remembering the victims, who, by the way, is every American citizen the victims of 911 and uh we are contemplating as well why with 3000 dead on our shores are more first responders passengers innocent passengers on airliners why more people in the bush administration in our military in our intelligence community, in the FBI, in the State Department, at the Pentagon, have not been held accountable for failing 
to do their jobs and why. The likes of George Tennant, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, and Dr. Condoleezza Rice have not been held accountable and seem to walk free in our country about what happened on that day. But tonight we will simply take our time. You're listening to Our Common Ground, live from the Our Common Ground studios in Uptown Beantown. And we thank you so very much. We're going to check into our chat room. YJ, thank you for being with us. We have guests. And... Um, I don't understand, Mr. Alpho, <laughs> but a great show. I am uh, pretty much ready to begin this show as Mr. DeVaga will be joining us. Thank you for being with us. Alpha, it was a great show at TruthWorks Network, and we do want to remind all of you that TruthWorks Network runs on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Monday with Power Views, and on Wednesday, Architects of Change, and on Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m., the Alpha Show, It's Just Damn Politics. I'm Janice Graham. Our number is 347-838-9852, and we're going to get this party started. For the kids, they, they were all in the bus arguing about black and white, what was right and what was wrong, who was right and who was wrong. And the bus driver just got fed up with all the conversation about black and white, so he stopped the bus and told all the kids to get off. And he walked outside with him and said, look, I'm tired of all this bickering about race and who's right and who's wrong, who's written, who's poor, who lives in the ghetto, who lives in the mansions. He said, from now on, if you're going to ride this bus, everybody's green. You got it? Everyone's green. He said, get on the bus. Dark green's in the back, light green's in the front. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Tonight, our guest, Chauncey DeVega. He is a contributor at Alternet and Salon. He is the founder of We Are Respectable, a signifying blog, and he'll be with us talking about issues, events, and people. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you for being with us. I'll be listening for you. Says the signifying monkey to the lion one day, hey, there's a great big elephant down the way. Talking, I'm sorry to say about your mama in a scandalous way. Yeah, he's talking about your mama and your grandma too. And he don't show too much respect to you. Now, you weren't yet, and I sure am glad. Cause what he said about your mama made me mad. Signifying monkey, stay up in your tree. You are always lying and but you better not monkey with me The lion said, yeah, well, I'll fix him I'll tear that elephant limb from limb Then he shook the jungle with a mighty roar Took off like a shot from a 44 He found the elephant where the tall grass grows And said, 
I come to punch you in your long nose. The elephant looked at the lion in surprise and said, Boy, you better go pick on somebody else, huh? But the lion wouldn't listen. He made a pass. The elephant slapped him down in the grass. The lion roared and sprung from the ground. And that's when that elephant really went to town. I mean, he whipped that lion for the rest of the day. And I still don't see how the lion got away. But he dragged on more dead than alive. And that's when that monkey started his signifying jive. Signifying monkey. And we thank you again for being with us here tonight at our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. And later on in this broadcast, we're going to be talking with Chauncey DeVaga. He is a failed polymatist, a race man in progress and contributor to to Open Salon. And we are respectable Negroes. You have probably heard him uh, on the Ed Schultz Show and Fire of Ring Radio. He has written a number of very important pieces on the issue of race in America. And uh, we want to talk with him uh, about those. Um, If you're just joining us, you should know that he remains anonymous for now, but... There will be clues, I suppose, um, morsels of information that friends and maybe even enemies, he says, can use to find out his government name. His writing has appeared in prominent media venues, such as the New York Times, the Atlantic Monthly, and The Root. Um, He recently made headlines with his criticism of Herman Cain's speech to the National Conference of the uh, Conservative Political Action Committee, CPAC. DeVaga's essay posted at Warren and Alternate unleashed a firestorm of criticism that lasted nearly a full week as prominent conservative commentators circled their wagons around him, around Mr. McCain. Of the vitriolic unleashing of races and hateful responses as a result, of the election of President Barack Obama, DeVaca wrote, the Tea Party GOP's love of depicting Barack Obama as an ape or gorilla is not simply an outlier or interesting curiosity and artifact of old school racism. Rather, it is a stark example that serves as the connective tissue, tying together much of the Take America Back, Real America Narrative, which drives a contemporary Tea Party GOP imagination. He writes of his own black privilege in the age of Obama, I know that my race is always an asset and never a liability. At will, I can play the race card and win any debate our dispute, and here at Our Common Ground, we have talked uh, vigorously about the whole issue of the race card. Recently, one of the things that uh, Chauncey caught my attention on was he wrote that uh, in his We Are Respectable Negroes blog, 
We are a nation of liars, crooks, fools, thieves, and idiots. <laughs> and he starts it out by writing, this is going to be a long one. And he talks about a drug, stories uh, circulating regarding a drug called Jankum. I don't know if any of you have heard of that. Until I read this piece that he wrote, I had not heard of it myself. Never heard of a drug called Jankum. Apparently, he writes, this new drug, a product of Africa, of course, where those poor natives do nothing but fight famine, suffer under genocide, live in failed states, and huff shit, consists of human feces and urine in a bong. Here, the user would take a hit by inhaling the noxious fumes generated by this ungodly concoction. He goes on to say that uh, apparently GenChem, which had been reported by Fox News, has now been debunked. But the idea rang true for a basic reason. People are lazy, stupid, and will try anything once. Moreover, he writes, this kind of huffing shit stuck with me because it seemed the perfect metaphor for these good old United States. We are a nation of, among other things, former slaves, tax evaders, and cast-off immigrants. More or less, all of us, myself included, have drunk the Kool-Aid, eaten that shit sandwich, and smelled those fumes generated by the American mythos of freedom, equality, and opportunity, or at least the hope that the American creed can one day be made real. More broadly, human beings believe what we want to believe in a way and at a time that is most convenient to us. As a respectable Negro, I focus much of my attention on those black and white shift huffers who hit that jinkum bong and spend their time on high-profile issues, issues that are ultimately of little concern, but that nevertheless cause harm to our lifelong crusade for human justice, dignity, and black progress. Now, YJ, I'm going to ask you, does that not sound like I wrote that? And I promise you, I did not write that. Those are the words of our guest tonight, Chauncey DeVega, Mr. Anonymous. And I think we have him with us. Chauncey, are you there? Chauncey? Well, I suppose that's not Chauncey. Let's try this other one. Chauncey DeVega, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? Oh, good. Thank you. So good to have you at Our Common Ground. I'm just sitting here trying to figure out how you sniff and huff jingum. <laughs> well, I've never tried it, but I have heard of it. <laughs> I did I use it. I certainly wouldn't confess. And I also have suggested that you might be Tavis, Tra Tavis Smiley in trying to write. 
or Clarence Thomas in drag? Well, the Am first I one will be a compliment course? because I wish it. Pardon me? Am I off course? <laughs> uh, there's a third option there. The first person would be great to be because I could have that long money. But uh, you can give me all the money in the world to be Clarence Thomas. I have too much self-respect and personal dignity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I've explained to our audience that you speak on behalf of the tribe of respectable Negroes. And I'm suggesting to them that at least weekly they run over to We Are Respectable Negroes and get a dose of real, of of open, what I call open and chartered reality. Tell us how this all started. Uh, where did Warren come from? And as I said, first of all, I just want to reiterate the thanks for having me on the show. It's always appreciated and get a chance to speak to new folks and reach out on the Internet, on TV, and on radio. But Warren really got its start a few years ago, and I, I don't know where the time has gone. It was uh, me and two very, very dear colleagues were sitting around, and we would daily read the different websites, be it The Root, be it uh, Tanahitsi Coates' website, which I'm a huge fan of that everybody should be going to at least two or three times a day, uh, Jack and Jill Politics and other sites. And my friends and I said, you know what, we can do this too. And a lot of you know, life success and fortune and luck is just sort of putting your foot in the pond. Because a lot of the things that we talk about in private, black folks and brown folks and others, in our homes, in our barbershops, in our hair salons, with friends and on the bus and in the taxi cab, really isn't reflected in the public discourse. There's a whole lot of diversity in black political thought. And we're not necessarily, as I like to joke, you know, Obama bots on one side or, you know, strictly black conservatives on the other. As I like to tell folks when I talk to them, for example, on the Ed Schultz show or on Ring of Fire, I tell people, I'm a black pragmatist. So when conservatives and others try to get at me and say that I'm a black liberal or I'm a black progressive, as though being a progressive is a bad thing, you know, we brought you the 20th century and the 21st century, for better or for worse, I'm a pragmatist. You know, and I call a spade a spade, and I try to speak truth to power, and sometimes when I do that, I get black folks upset at me. More often than not, when I do that, I get some white folks upset at me. But the truth is my first priority and my first allegiance, and that's where Warren got its start. A bunch of friends chatting and talking, and three years later, we're still here. Well, I'm certainly, I think that I don't have to go to Ancestry.com to figure out that I'm from the tribe of We Are Respectable Negroes. Sometimes my friends even say that I hail from the boule. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I understand exactly, my brother, where you are coming from. Uh, one of the most interesting things, though, that I do want to ask you about is why you chose to be anonymous. Uh, anonymity, and I actually talked to somebody about this uh, during the Herman Cain saga, which I'm sure we're going to spend some good time talking about. Uh, the Herman Cain saga really reinforced that decision for me. Um, anonymity does not mean a lack of accountability. Right? I'm very easy to find. Uh, my email is accessible. You can Google Chauncey Vega. I come up all over the place. So it's not that I'm hiding. But as I learned in that moment, when you talk about some of these matters in a very direct and a very straight way, there can be professional consequences, certainly. There can mm-hmm. be public consequences. Mm-hmm. And when I learned during Herman Cain, as I said, I can't tell you the number of emails I received that were death threats. I have a family oh, that yeah. I'm responsible uh, oh, for. Oh, yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, I, I have a family, I, I, I have I friends, imagine. I have others. And, yes, political activism, we can talk about, you know, does writing a blog and being an online journalist constitute activism? I mean, there's a whole debate there. But, I, you know, I'm slowly coming to a point where there will be a great reveal at some point in the near future when the time is right, but it will be on my own terms. And when mm-hmm. I went through the stuff with Kane and even starting the blog, there are always folks trying to ferret out who I am. And it's a really sort of funny story because I've been on the bus, and I've looked over and seen it's just a flattering moment where you're like, wow, people do listen, where you see somebody reading a piece you've written on Alternet or the few of the things I've done on Salon or on my own website. And you're like, wow, folks are watching. 
But if folks are watching, that can also mean that you have um, enemies watching as well, and folks who may not have the best interests of you at heart or black folks as a whole. I mean, this is a very, very dangerous mm-hmm. moment we're living in. And that's not me trying mm-hmm. to sound paranoid. That's me being realistic. For those of you who have not read the alternate um, piece uh, written by Chauncey DeVaga, um, the, the title is Black History Month is Herman Cain playing the race minstrel for CPAC. And I thought that you were right on, especially when you wrote when race minstrelsy, and I am a person who grew up in Jim Crow South, and I remember Silas Green. Mm-hmm. So I know what race minstrels are was America's most popular form of mass entertainment, black actors would often have to pretend to be white men who then in turn would put on the cork to play the role of the black coon, Sambo, or Jumping Jim Crow. And all of those, in my opinion, um, accurately depict who Herman McCain is, and all of us know other Herman McCains. So... I was not surprised that you were attacked by the CPAC people. What I was surprised by was that black people were taking you to task for the language that you 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 used. You you know, you you wrote we always need a monkey in the window for he she remind, reminds us of our humanity. And then black conservatives we're saying you were being racist because you were playing the race card against Herman McCain and other black conservatives. And I didn't get that part. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole lot there to, to unpack. Number one would be how do we define racism? That's a big question. Everybody uses that word um, so flippantly and so casually. And the other thing I learned from the, the Herman Cain controversy is it's really ironic that when a person of color, a black person, offers some criticism for a black conservative, white conservatives discover racism all of a sudden. Right? Mm-hmm. People can do whatever they want and say whatever they want about black folks, about Barack Obama, about other black public officials and uh, African Americans as a people. And white conservatives and black conservatives, because they're in bed together. I mean, as I describe black conservatives, and I don't mean folks from the Booker T. Washington tradition of black conservatism. I don't mean Malcolm X, because black folks are very conservative on any number of issues. When I talk about black conservatives, I mean the Juan Williams, Clarence Thomas, Michael Steele, Herman Cain variety. These people are human chaff. They're a shield, really for some of the worst policies of the conservative right in this country. So it's interesting that when, even with Sarah Palin's a great example too, all of a sudden uh, conservatives discover sexism when people criticize Sarah Palin or Michelle Bachman. So it's utterly and totally disingenuous. But the other thing that we have to learn too here, I mean, I'm just speaking to folks who are reasonable uh, centrist conservatives, pragmatists, liberals, and progressives, is that the far right in this country is amazingly well organized. They will go to your websites. They will have people that I actually believe are paid now at this point to go to discussion boards and to troll. They stay on message. They stay on point. And if you go do a Google search, and I mean I was just fascinated watching this unfold, it started on a Monday, late Sunday, early Monday, and hit every single conservative website of any import, and they kept hitting the same talking points over and over and over again. They have their soldiers really well organized, where other folk – we're playing in the 20th century or the 19th century. We're sitting here playing on rotary telephones, and these folks are playing on iPads. we really got to up our game. Well, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about that because we see that on Blog Talk Radio. 
I get quite a few conservatives who are either listening or who come and sit in our chat room and actually try to have a conversation now and again until I kick them out. And then they talk to me about, they write to me about democracy and freedom of speech. And quite frankly, I don't give a damn. Mm-hmm. This is a That's sanctuary for too. black people. This is a sanctuary for black people to pull out their race cards and examine the power of that card. Mm-hmm. I mean, the race card so, is another great turn of phrase, too. As I often say to folks on these issues, I'm like, you know, if the race card exists, and we can sort of talk about the invention of language and how conservatives have invented uh, colorblindness, right, totally stole it from black and brown folk and progressives. They discovered racism, but it's only racism when you criticize white people, i.e. reverse racism. Um, and this issue with the race card, as I like to jokingly say, is, hey, you all dealt me the deck. I'm just playing the cards you gave me. And you guys set up mm-hmm. the rules of the game. So you can't sit here and cry foul. And as you said about you know, these Internet trolls and others who on one hand want to talk about civility and public discourse and they want to come up with all this sort of maddening crazy talk, as I like to call it, about liberals and progressives hating white folk and trying to censor people, they don't apply the same rules to their own discourse. So very often on my own website, uh, We Are Respectable Negroes, I go at it with some of my guests, uh, guest commentators and others on occasion where I say to them, I'm not going to put on a silk glove. I'm not going to put a glove on when I hit you over the head because these conservatives are carrying baseball bats, chains, bats, guns, and we're sitting here trying to engage in a civil conversation with people who are not interested in having a reasonable discourse. You're you're absolutely right. Did Kane app, uh, contact you? I had heard that. There was uh, a foray that was made indirectly online, and I simply didn't even respond. I mean, at this point, it, the, the way that events broke down was, it, as I said, it broke on a Monday. All the big conservative websites, Fox News called me and were very insistent on trying to get me to go on their show. I've watched enough Fox News. There's actually a great documentary called Outfoxed. I don't know if you've seen it. And they sort of talk about some of the tricks that Fox News will play on you. And I said, you know, if I come out and I go on TV, it's going to be at the time and place of my own choosing. And I very smartly demurred because as the producer was trying to set up the interview, they're making all these promises about fairness and balance, and I was snickering the whole time. And then when I actually watched the segment, it would have been a two-on-one with Sean Hannity and Juan Williams trying to beat me up. And then if you actually try to rebut them and get a word in edgewise, they'll cut your microphone. So, I mean, Fox News, that's a whole conversation there. They're really, you know, the other part of the right-wing echo chamber. They really are the anchor. So the folks that you actually see, progressives, liberals, and conservatives who disagree with the party line, they're portrayed so badly because Fox is not interested in the news. They're interested in a particular ideological agenda. So, yes, Fox did reach out to me, certainly as a proxy for Kane, I'm sure, um, who knows, maybe he would have showed up too, but I certainly wasn't going to take that bait. Well, where do you think they found him? <laughs> I, well, <laughs> now you're getting me. As I jokingly say, I, I think they have a breaking case of emergency jar that they have all these black conservatives in, and they, bla- they break the glass and they can trot them out and they can do their buck dancing on stage because they are buck dancing. They can be a, a human projection of white conservative fantasies. They can be human chaff. And Herman Cain, that was his 30 seconds of fame. I don't know if you just saw what he released yesterday. Herman well, Cain has... his performance on Wednesday night uh, was um, lukewarm at best. And one of the things that I noticed is that they treated him as though he were not there. Very few of the questions were directed to him or for a response, as mm-hmm. though he was not there. 
And well, I he certainly found that. dropped down. Yeah, he certainly dropped down into the third tier of candidates at this point. I mean, Michelle Bachman also in that debate has dropped down again. Yes, she's going for the Christian dominionist flag, just like Perry is. But that was really about the Rick Perry, uh, Romney show. But I think you know the thing that really embarrassed. I almost felt bad for Herman Cain when he went on MSNBC afterwards. I've never seen somebody be so embarrassed in my whole life. I almost felt bad for him. Did you see the interview? No, I didn't. It's worth watching. I have it on the website. It's, it's been circulating on the Internet. So Herman Cain gets up there. They give him a good 10 or 15 minutes on MSNBC, and he couldn't answer basic policy questions. He was utterly confused about yeah, Chile's yeah. Uh, uh, tax policies. Oh, I, was, did, I did see a portion of that. I did yeah, see it was, a portion Yeah, it almost of that. felt bad for him. So Herman Cain simply is not ready for prime time. We knew this. We knew he didn't have a chance in hell. So maybe he's trying to angle for a senior Republican position. But Cain, if you, again, go to his websites. I mean, this fits a perfect story. He is the sort of black person that white conservatives wish all other black people would be. He constantly criticizes other African Americans. He says anyone, any black person who votes for the Democrats is stupid or a zombie, and basically, you know, using very provocative language here, is somehow mentally defective. He calls the, the Democratic Party a plantation. He uses the most obnoxious, foul language that really is a slap in the face to our collective struggle. And I have no problem with Herman Cain if he didn't run as a black conservative. So he's playing the okey-doke. On one hand, he says this has nothing to do with race, and every 10 seconds he reminds you that he's black. It's a really very, mm-hmm. very disingenuous mm-hmm. performance. Well, I think he certainly does understand why he is there. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you in, in general, and I know that you have written a lot uh, about this whole emergence of this mean, racist environment created uh, by the teabaggers and funded by um, business and commerce and um, members of our Congress, and, and why, how, what is the connection between that and the election of Barack Obama? Man, that's going down the rabbit hole. I mean, we've got two things there we got to separate. We, we, got, sort of... we, we, we got some hooks. We'll, 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 we'll tool you out. <laughs> <laughs> Together we'll get there. We've got plenty of time. I mean, the first thing about the Tea Party slash teabaggers, because that's what they call themselves, and that's what I continue to call them, is that we also have to work, again, on the war on language. I call the Republican Party the Tea Party GOP. They're the same entity at this point. We've known you know, public opinion data is out there that suggests and clearly shows that the Tea Party are Republicans on steroids. Take every policy position of the Republicans, turn it up five notches, and that's who you're sort of seeing with these Tea Party populists. But here's the joke, right? If you look at the history of these people, a lot of their rhetoric goes all the way back to the Liberty League, which was an anti-FDR group in the 1930s and 40s. Right? So the Liberty League, if you look at some of the things that Obama has been called, a socialist, someone who hates America, someone who's outside the American tradition, that he's a traitor, this was the same stuff that was being said against FDR. And again, sort of speaking about hidden history that's in plain sight. I don't know if you're, some of your listeners have ever heard of the Wall Street coup, the banker's plot, but the Liberty League got in bed. Uh, they actually tried to recruit a very famous general named General Smedley Butler to lead a coup against FDR, to actually overthrow the government in the interest of, corp- uh, interest of corporations. But they used the language of taking our country back, of American patriotism. And then if you jump forward a little while, the Koch brothers, who are these, I'm sure you heard the audio tapes that came out at one of their retreats where they mm-hmm. talk about the mother of all battles, taking out uh, Barack Obama, where the Koch brothers, actually their father was one of the founding members of the John Birch Society, a white supremacist organization in the 50s. 
right? And they have direct links to the white citizens' councils. So you have this corporate group that's created an astroturf movement, which we've seen before, right, false white populism, that got really started. They may say it got started on that day on Fox News or one of the financial shows when somebody was on Bloomberg yelling about having a tea party. But the animus against Obama really was the trigger. His election is the trigger for the Tea Party because they were notoriously silent during the Bush administration. But then, as you said, the riddle then becomes we know Obama is a corporate president, right? He's a president who happens to be black. He's not a radical. Radicals don't get elected president of the United States. So then Thank becomes, you. Is it, you know, so then it becomes sort of is this just a matter of we're all being uh, hoodwinks that both parties are conservative, which many people have argued, and it's just a matter of degrees. Right, so we get all about the hope and change, and we're just choosing our poison. Right. Mhm. And, and and you know, I've been in a lot of discussions about we have to look at the options before us. I sure as hell, goddamn it, don't want to wake up and have to say good morning, Mr. President, Mr. Perry, President. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I I do not want that. And on the other side, understanding that the agenda for which I have prioritized politically as well as socially for uh, in my circle, it's not going to be fulfilled by Barack Obama. You look at his, you look at his history in in uh, Illinois. You look at the kinds of developments. Uh, that he, he, the results of his community development and organizing in Chicago, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. There is something about uh, going to Harvard Law School that somehow singes um, your past mm-hmm. for people of color. So. <laughs> Uh, and I say that delicately. Uh, so I, I think that people are not being pragmatist. And tonight, uh, Chauncey, what I want to do is to invite all of our people in our audience to come into the tribe of We Are Respectable Negroes and be pragmatist about where we are. Uh, <laughs> because we all know what the real deal is, that it's um, tweedly D and tweedly dumb before us. So what we have to do is go off and build our own little um, agenda and move from there, uh, using and identifying exactly what power we do have. And what we have always had is the power of the barometer, of the moral barometer in this country. Mm. We can embarrass the hell out of folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and one of the things that we haven't been doing is we've been waiting. Damn, mm. I have never seen so many black people standing in line before in my life. And <laughs> I'm, I mean, we're just standing in line. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I know that you did some writing about um, – the uh, Shirley Sherrod incident. And I always look at the Shirley Sherrod incident in in terms of another person, and that's Bertha Lewis at ACORN, and how this Congress, without protests, without um, angry mobs showing up at the Capitol, uh, just destroyed um, two of the voices 
mm-hmm. uh, that give us reprieve uh, on the political landscape. One was Shirley Sherrod, who was working with the black farmers. And most people do not connect that particular political iceberg with what happened with her and why she was in so much, why a supervisor in the government stands up and tells her, we want your resignation. I have never heard of a federal employee being asked for a resignation ever unless they were appointed. The other is that ACORN, destroying the infrastructure for um, uh, black activism and poor people's activism across the country. What's your take on that? There, there are three elements there that are connected. One would be sort of thinking about the decline of journalism in this country. We've always had you know, yellow journalism, and we've had journalists of varying stripes. But, I mean, my takeaway with Shirley Sherrod quite simply was Big Hollywood, uh, the website uh, with Breitbart, and his spin masters, they selectively edited the video, right? They made her look like she was someone that she wasn't. And the reality of it was there are no consequences, right? You can slander, mm-hmm. you can lie, mm-hmm. you can get your news on Fox, you can circulate it around the right-wing echo chamber, because it plays into a bigger narrative about white anxiety in this moment. I mean, yes, you know, here's another historical irony. Uh, white folks have been talking about being oppressed in this country when they had slaves. If you <laughs> read some of the uh, yes. papers from the, you know, the Jim Crow South and rather the slaveocracy, you had white folks who were benefited from Jim Crow and slavery saying, my God, we're being oppressed, we're being oppressed. But now that you've got a black president, the symbolism is too much for some to handle. So under every rock around every corner, there's a member of the new Black Panther uh, Party standing there with a stick looking silly. There's a black bureaucrat who wants to deny white people their opportunities. There's a Ricky case with the New Haven firefighters at Papu Cannon, Wales, and howls about about white people being oppressed. So on one hand, we're up here being concerned about truth. We care about integrity. We say to ourselves, my God, and I'll say all reasonable people across the color line are like, my God, something stinks about the Sherrod thing, about how this woman was uh, depicted in this way, how they lied about her. But the powers that be, they're not interested in truth. They're interested in political expediency. So just like my brother Michael Eric Dyson said, he's like, you know, Obama runs from race like a, a black teenager runs from the cops. Obama is race-averse. He's controversy-averse. Mm-hmm. He's a consummate centrist. So when he's given a choice, because he takes our support for granted, uh, of betraying black folk and turning his back on us or using us as a step stool right, to try to advance some centrist position, he'll do it in a second. And he'll do it without regret. And he'll do it without any sense of compromise being problematic. So there's one element there. But, I mean, you're absolutely right about the Pigford case, which is actually the legal case around the, uh, the firefighters' lawsuit against like the Thomas. USDA. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was interesting, too, because mm-hmm. the Pigford case was actually supported. The settlement was supported by Newt Gingrich. So the USDA was found uh, that it was systematically discriminating against women who applied for these grants and loans, African Americans, Latinos, and other folks. They had a huge settlement. And if you go and look at the right wing, you've got to put, put your hand in their pulse. In their mind, the way they framed it was it was reparations. So any justice claim, even if you have been treated unfairly by your own government, is now something to do with reparations. And then taking on ACORN, I mean, that's, again, old politics. I mean, the big question I think we have to ask ourselves as uh, African Americans, as Latinos, as working class and poor people, as progressives, is what has happened to black politics? Because the civil rights vision is dead. That's been dead for about 40 years. I'd even double down and say the irony of the age of Obama is that black politics are dead. Where's our radical vision? Where's our freedom yeah, struggle? Yeah, yeah. I, where is our freedom struggle? That That is um, an, an acute and critical question. You're listening to Our Common Ground at Blog Talk Radio. Our guest tonight, Chauncey DeVaga, Mr. Mysterious 
Chicago-based Devaga. He is a writer for Altanet and Salon and founder of the blog We Are Respectable Negroes, Warren, and we're going to be talking with him more about um, Van Jones and Valerie Jarrett. Who are these people? Voter suppression and an increasingly itchy kind of police state in America. We're going to take a break. Our number is 347-838-9852, and you can talk with him as well. Chauncey, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you, speaking truth to power and ourselves. 20 years broadcasting black, bold, and brilliant. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Daddy, what that day? And why that under day? And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, Daddy, hey, look it over there. Hey, what they doing there? And where they going there? And Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? If America's talking about it, we're talking about it. If America's talking about it, we're talking about it. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Janice Graham. My mother shaped me as an actor, as a musician, as a human being. So when she was diagnosed with colon cancer, it was like our entire family got cancer. And she died when she was only 56, so this is personal. And hopefully my heartbreak is your wake-up call. You can prevent colorectal cancer. If you're 50 or older, get screened. Screening saves lives. And thank you for being with us. We want to remind you that we have friends in independent media. One of them is Enter the Lion's Den. Join Lions X on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. for good, solid Black Talk Radio. Our guest tonight is Chauncey Devaga. And we have been talking about a number of issues, and we welcome your calls at 347-838-9852. We're going to go to 248, Chauncey. I have no idea what this area code is, but this person's been hanging on for a while. You're on Our Common Ground with Chauncey DeVaga. Thank you for joining us. I respect you. I'm good, but you have to come to the phone and get off the... Um, uh, your show, by the way. Thank you very much. Can you Are you there? No, someone, you're you're on a, on, away from the phone or... Can you hear me? You're, yes, I can hear you. Okay, uh, something wrong with my, my phone there for a second. No, I, okay. I am a, a frequent uh, follower of, of, of Chauncey. I, I uh, blog on the site a lot, and he's just... Uh, a brilliant, uh, a, a, uh, one of the young geniuses, one of the young icons I in, in the marketplace. Agree. Yeah, Thrasher's my name. 
Thank you for yeah. saying that. I yeah. How you doing, Brother Thrasher? Hey, how you doing, Chauncey? And, and he, it's always nice to finally get to chat over all these years. Always yeah. Nice support. Yeah, and what I like about Chauncey is that he's uh, fearless. He, But he's also capable of uh, taking a blow and delivering a blow. And I admire that maturation and uh, that ability to to not only uh, educate and elevate, but also surrender his ego when it's appropriate. And I don't see that in a lot of black men, uh, especially young black men, because I think Chauncey's much younger than me. But uh, I really admire that. And more importantly, uh, in this new Internet era, in this whole digital era and messages coming from out of the sky, it is so critical that we have a vehicle and a voice like yourself as well as Chauncey in both of these arenas. So he is truly, uh, and I'm not just stroking him to be stroking him, I think both of you guys are iconic, but I like the written word myself because to me the written word mm-hmm. has a lot of footprints, whereas yes. verbal stuff has a, has a memory gap, you know, amnesia. People get amnesia with, with, with verbal stuff, but when people like Chauncey put it to writing, it has a legacy of footprints that could, you can track down, you can, you know, cut and paste and put it places and things of that nature. So I just admire him, and I, and I hope, uh, I used to chide him a lot that I hope he reveals himself. But having been on the end of a lot of death threats myself and, and, and blackouts and being blackballed, I do understand why he doesn't want to do that. I, I really do, Chauncey. I, trust me, I understand that. Um but the thing I'm worried about, and I'll and I'll be quick, is that what I what I have uh, perceived the last two years is what I call acute negrophobia, and it seems to really I'm I'm more concerned now than ever before that with the uh, with this high tech gadgetry we have and this incredible technology from the internet, I'm really and I'm not a conspiracy or a paranoid brother at all. But I am concerned about the plight of black uh, activists and black intellectuals. I do think that if there's another 9-11 event, uh, our personalities and our personas are at risk. And I do believe that the government will knowingly, maybe even unknowingly, uh, seek to silence us. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll do that in a number of ways. But more importantly, I think with the Patriot Act being one way, I think the Patriot Act, after something, if something else happens, the Patriot Act will, will get real acute. And there will be a silencing and censorship. And even, uh, hate to, again, I'm not a paranoid uh, conspiracy buff at all, but I do think that the government will make arrests and, and, and start really clamping down on personalities uh, and I, I wish I had gone anonymous, but I'm all over the map now, so I guess I'll find out who I am. But I, mean, I don't get to hide. You're spot on. I mean, but again, history is our our best teacher here. Everybody remembers COINTELPRO, so why yes, would we you do. think COINTELPRO ever stopped? And I mean, there was a great series yes. that the Washington Post ran a few months ago called Top Secret America, which is basically about the rise of the national security state. And we yes. also know that the Obama administration, look what happened in the Arab Spring, look what almost happened in Iran, yeah. what's going on in China, that the powers that be, and this is international, this is about global global power, yeah. this isn't about the nation state. Well, the so NYPD want an has the CIA search. working. The NYPD has the CIA working right. for them, yep. which, which, which and, violates like, the CIA's charter. Yeah, And again, well, like we were talking about the moment about black politics and where's our freedom struggle, uh, where's our common sense approach to citizen activism, right? Is it that we're exhausted? Is it that we're tired? Is it that people don't literally know what to do? Or is it that they're so distracted by Facebook and Twittering and our age of narcissism that they don't have the good sense to realize that the CIA was violating any number of laws spying on fellow Americans? Yeah. So where's the outrage? There's yeah. no protest, so there's no consequence. Exactly. 
Exactly. You know, one of the things about this anonymity thing, people say to me, why do you have so many names? Uh, I have so many names for a very good reason. (laughs) Each name designates a zone that I have to live in. (laughs) Well, I deliberately deliberately chose not to do that, though. I, I wanted to be... I wanted the people to know exactly where I, I I didn't and and I respect both of you both of you but I I've deliberately chosen a different tact of of wanting to be right out in front and 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 chose and, you know use my legal name in all of my writings and so forth because I fear no man that's just mm-hmm. me but I understand other people though yeah and and some of it has to do with uh, your your professional undertaking Agreed. when I first started Agreed. when I first started. Um, um, broadcasting 20 years ago and decided that it had to be bold and it had to be black and it had to be upfront and it had to 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 really be uh, a strong line and sanctuary for black people to to talk real truths what I call yeah. the black truth of events yeah that um I had to use another name because I was a consultant yeah well, and I, mean, I couldn't get the two things mixed up. Right, I understand. I understand. You know, so uh, I understand that. But you've asked some very profound questions. And by the way, you sound so much like Ron, Ron Walters. I was startled there for a <laughs> Well, I appreciate the compliment. I, 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 really, I, I admire him. I did, did. He was a great man. So thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. But one of the things that you asked three questions that are so critical. And one is, are we Twittering and, and, and Facebooking ourselves into a corner? And the other is, where are we or have we become negritized to the extent that we have not only no voice of protest and resistance, but we have no thoughts about protest and resistance because we are either afraid or we are too comfortable, or we feel that we are helpless in the place that we find ourselves. And I think that when you ask those questions, we tend to ask those as a full thought rather than dissecting them uh, separately. And one of the things that I love about Chauncey's uh, writing and his blogging is that he takes one little piece and he analyzes and dissects it at a time. But we do need to ask that question because I call this alternative activist empowerment talk radio and it's and since I've been on the internet broadcasting, it doesn't seem to be that way. What I encourage people to do is to transpose all of what we talk about each week into something that is local. Because we just can't take a bite that's so big that we can't chew. And I think that's where people are paralyzed. They don't know where to start because they're hearing the issues from a national perspective rather from the place where they eat and sleep and drink. So when you talk about... Educational, black education, you can't talk about black education in Boston 
from the same vantage point that you talk about it in Chicago because the educational systems and infrastructures are so different. And, you know, for instance, I can organize in Boston and I know who to target, the elected officials to target. But if you are talking about black education, you can't target the Department of Education. You can't target the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. You have to go, when you're dealing with the federal government, you have to be able to say to the headquarters people, your regional people, your local people are not being effective, and this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot to, to, to mull over there, and I mean, as I said, you're, you're, you're on to something, but I mean, I think there's another possibility here, too. I mean, if we're going to start playing three-dimensional Star Trek chess, we really got to sort of look at the big picture and at all the elements then. So what did folks thinking about 9-11, what did George Bush tell everybody to do the day after 9-11? Go to shopping. Go shopping, right? Spend your money. He didn't say anything about radical citizenship. He didn't say anything about investment in your community or public involvement. So, I mean, black folks and others, I think, have drunk the Kool-Aid. I guess not, because if we had right? done something proper, his ass would be in jail. Well, there you go, right? So, I mean, we spent the last <laughs> few decades, of, the, of you know, ever since the 1980s, right, of the rise of the Reagan right, neoliberalism around the world, one of the narratives has been that government is always the problem and never the solution, all right? So my analogy when I talk to folks about this, I talk to my students about this, I use the analogy of being in chronic pain. If you're in chronic pain, your brain eventually turns off. You're just hurting all the time, and you just learn how to deal with it. Yeah. So we have a political yeah. culture where it has been cultivated, exhaustion has been cultivated, um, distraction has been cultivated. We know something is wrong. You know, the big fancy word for this is hegemonic power, right? We know something is wrong, but we don't know where to, we can put our finger on it. And the other part of this, and again, I'm looking at my own people here, right? Somewhere along the way, we confuse uh, the black freedom struggle and the goals of the civil rights movement with not radical citizenship, but with the ability to buy expensive cars we don't need and the ability to buy jewelry and cell phones and other nonsense mm -hmm. that doesn't actually add to the quality of our life. So mm -hmm. we've given our, up on our own our radical, and we're not the only ones. Insulted. Right? We're not the only ones. I mean, Dr. King was likely rolling over in his grave as he's looking at the way that his name has been abused and his memory abused as well. But I mean, the other part of this is my phrase you hear I say this a lot on uh, other venues is connect the dots. What's going on with public schooling? Right? We're talking about the privatization of public schools. We're talking about the privatization of hospitals. We even are privatizing yeah. the military. So citizens are really in retreat when the government is, throws its hands up and says, we're not going to do anything anymore. So if you want to complain, if you want to protest, well, it's about the market. It's about profit maximization. It's not about mm -hmm. doing the right thing and serving the common good. So if you're out there talking about organizing as a way to get things changed, good luck. I mean, that's the genius of the system right now. Well, one of the things is that we have to direct action takes on a new definition, and I want to get a response from, from our caller, and we've got some other callers on the line, and that is that we're not – direct action is, has to be defined differently. For instance, if we want to get this Congress's and this government's attention, if every like-minded person in this country – who has a W4, walks into their human resources office and says, I want to change it, I want to turn it to 12, as you can do legally, and uh, I want it to be 12 until December 31st. That means that a significant amount of the revenue going into this government comes to a screeching halt. Mm -hmm. 
but we seem not to even want to implement the tools of power that we have. If we said to the Koch brothers, listen, listen up real good. We're about to cowboy the hell up, and we will never buy another product that you make. And if we did that in significant numbers, their influence, they would back the hell up and rethink. I mean, and, 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 and Barack Obama said this when he was elected, before he was inaugurated, that nothing will happen that does not come by protest and action of the people. And that meant to me when a million people show up at the White House protesting on some issue, that's when he will feel the heat. But we haven't done that either. And I think it's just by what you've just pointed out, Chauncey, and what the caller has said, that because we have somehow become um, almost um, as though we're under some form of narcotic, to be able to figure out what to do. And as you said, we we got it all twisted about what the civil rights era was all about. And that is it was about real freedom and the freedom to continue to struggle for the benefit not for an equality about consumerism. You're absolutely right. I mean, the other uh, angle, so too, as we, sort of, pardon me, as we sort of think through this puzzle, I mean, is that we have to be very careful. We're using the language of democracy and citizen participation and citizen activism with the assumption that the powers that be are responsive. Right? A lot of our country's history, especially as of late, I mean, I'll give you a great example. So we have uh, two recent public opinion polls that came out, one that just basically shows that the president, Barack Obama, has very high personal positives, somewhere like I think it's 74%. Uh, His popularity as a president is in the 30s. The Republicans as a party, their population is in like the 20s or low 30s. And the public's opinion of Congress as an institution, I may actually be being too generous here, is in the mid to high teens. So that tells me there's a crisis of legitimacy out there. Number two, if you look at what happened with the debt ceiling crisis, and if you look at that spectacle, and I don't use that word often, but it was a spectacle, uh, that was Barack Obama's speech where the Republicans were laughing at him. I have never seen something so absurd where they laughed at a sitting president during a speech um, this week that the powers that be may not actually care about public opinion. Right? So if you look at all the positions that are offered by the Tea Party GOP, they are wildly unpopular with the American people but they persist with those positions. If you look at their positions on the debt ceiling, where the American people actually wanted a compromise between raising taxes on the top 5% of people who benefited the most from the Bush-era tax cuts and some uh, modest uh, budget cuts, that's what the American people wanted. But if you listen to Fox News and if you listen to the Republicans and if you listen to their talking points, they reframe reality, and I go back to that all the time, that it's very Orwellian. They have imagined that the American people are in support of them when their positions are juxtaposed to just about what the vast majority of American people want. Right? So we're saying democracy works, but democracy has been broken in this country for a very long time. You're absolutely right. 248, thank you so much for your call. We hope you'll join us every Saturday night on Our Common Ground. We're going to go to your hometown, Chauncey. Maybe somebody knows um, 
a little bit of morsel about what your government name might be. 773, you're on the air. I respect you. Oh, good evening, Janice. Uh, good evening to your guests, Mr. Good evening, Alpho of the Alpho Show. Um, I, you know, I've been listening, and you're absolutely, I mean, what Mr. DeVega has pointed out and acknowledged a lot of the things that that I've said, you know, you get to a point, and this country, this democracy has gotten to a point of, you know, this upside-down thought. First thing they do is they co-opt the media. And once you've co-opted the media and you can get that constant, that drumbeat of Nazi propaganda, and I call it Nazi propaganda because it is identical to the same propaganda that uh, the Nazis used to turn uh, a country against Jews, to turn an entire continent against Jews, if not the world. You have them speaking in two different Two different reality worlds. Their their world of what they think, of what they say, and what they think. This feigned indignation of victimized victimhood. They play the victim all the while they are simply dishing it out. They admit nothing, deny everything, and accuse everyone of what they're guilty of. When it comes down to our democracy, we have been so checkmated. And I use that term, and it's, you know, it's checkmated because it doesn't matter what the people think now. They have Citizens United. They have co-opted the media, and they can basically tell us what to think. And the people who we expect to be outraged and, you know, and to rise up, the people will never rise up. This is why the rich, this is why the Koch brothers have so many think tanks. You spoke, uh, Mr. DeVega spoke about the the paid trolls that they have at all of these websites, and he's absolutely right. These people are paid because they have the money to do so. The Koch brothers haven't founded and funded over 85 think tanks to do nothing. This is what they do. Every think tank or every two or three think tanks takes a particular avenue, a particular fork in the road. And this well, Alpha, let me ask you about our think tanks. I mean, one of the things no that Chauncey is so good at is the pragmatical issues before us. Where are our think tanks? We have no think tanks. And when I say we have no think tanks, it's because the think tanks are moneyed. The think tanks are supported by money. That is their motivation. If you're not, you're not going to have someone to come out and devote their time into uh, speech. And one of the things that I read in that article, Janice, that I did my show on today was the Democrats don't understand speech. They don't understand the words and the spoken words and how they simply, the Republicans have been using uh, spoken words, talking points and narratives to dispel, dismiss, and propagate their ideology, and 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 it used you know it used the terms of you know instead of the president coming out with uh, in the health care situation, it was Obamacare, mm-hmm. and he just recently spun that around to yes Obama does care. Now had he started that when they started calling it an Obamacare, they would have backed off of it. You see the push for me the pushback 
has never been immediate from the Democratic side. And I don't think, I have no fallacy, I don't have any, you know, uh, fantasy that the Democrats are any better than the Republicans. But there is one side that is more insidious, more nefarious about what they do and how they do it. Absolutely. And that's I mean, it, the biggest problem. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to talk to another uh, South Sider or uh, West Side. Where are you at? South Side. I'm on the South Side. All right, just like I am. But I mean, there's a great, he's a sociolinguist by the name I always miss his name of George Lakoff, uh, and he has a he studies the politics of language, and he made a great point about uh, the conservatives and the right and their ability to stand message. They stand message. They tell good stories. They use more the language of moral appeals. They are really good at appealing to low information voters. Right, so these Tea Party mouth breathers, because that's what they are, these right-wing populist types, the folks who call into conservative talk radio, the folks who just watch Fox News, they know how to get their base motivated. Democrats, they're very bad at constructing stories. They're too complicated. They try to use too much nuance, and they lose voters. Uh, the other part of this is just some interesting political history for those who are interested. I mean, in the 1970s, when the Republicans were out of power, they went and started think tanks. And they understood that when they were out of power, they needed to study and they needed to get ready in terms of sort of reframing the narrative and the discourse about politics. And when Ronald Reagan won, that was really, you know, the midpoint of that sort of maturation of that uh, strategy. So the Democrats in the 1980s, when they were out of power, they started a group called the Democratic Leadership Council, where they basically remade the Democrats as conservatives, like Republicans light. So Bill Clinton is a product of that moment. But if you look at places like the Hoover Institute, the Heritage Foundations, what the Koch brothers are doing, funding think tanks, funding universities, I think it's the University of Florida, um, they actually are trying to have a named chair. They're actually trying to, and they've done this very well, they will have experts that support their policy positions, and they will quote them in the, new, in the National Review on Fox News, Glenn Beck, and they're manufacturing their own truth. Folks on the left and progressives and others, we do not have any equivalent of that. Absolutely not. We don't even come well, close. My, my criticism of black, black talk radio is that we constantly, black talk radio across this country is constantly following the stories created by white media rather than looking at the specific experts and voices that we have in our own community that clarify these issues from a black perspective. Well, Janice, to me... To me, that really speaks a lot to the to the same thing that you know I was yelling about and screaming about when with this de- uh, debt ceiling crisis. This president is pl- is fighting them on their battlefield. They have framed this battlefield, and he's out there fighting on the battlefield that they've chosen. He can do nothing but lose, and that's exactly what happened. Instead of him trying to cut the spending by you know cutting defense or cutting the welfare to, you know, the corporations, he's out there talking about entitlement cuts. And you know you're in trouble when they refer to Social Security and Medicare, something that you've already paid into as an entitlement. Mm-hmm. Or a Ponzi scam. To frame it that way, you know you're in trouble. We are in trouble. There is no doubt about it. We are in Deep. I mean, what what we always say, we've got a deep doo-doo smoothie going on here. It's a doo-doo smoothie. <laughs> it's, a what? It's a doo-doo smoothie. <laughs> yes, a doo-doo smoothie. <laughs> on a, on a and, very... And it is it, it is as though we're buying into it that this is the norm. 
And I just want to continue to reiterate that we have been the the moral barometer for politics and public policy in this country since since Reconstruction. We are the people who have always rung the bell. And we're not ringing very many bells. And I don't buy the idea that we don't have think tanks, that we don't have it's a matter of our think tanks are not organizing and they're not acutely aware of some of the basic strategies that are necessary to use how to use the internet, how to use um, uh, public forums uh, to to organize people and organize the voices of people. And I do think that somehow we have gotten really mixed up and lost in this national discourse as opposed to local discourse. And we can thank a number of black people for that when community radio in every major city in this country was destroyed, mm-hmm. sold off. Well, that was a part of this season, you know, season the uh, the media. You know, when they brought up all the radio stations with the corporations, and now, and as you can, you've seen it. You've seen it this past week when Fox News doctored the clip of Jimmy Hoffa, and CNN picked up the very copy from Fox News, and all of the rest of the networks ran with what Fox News had put out there, when in fact it was a doctored clip. And once MSNBC started raising the issue that it was a doctored clip, the others just backed off and went away. There was never an apology. There was never uh, uh, some type of uh, uh, I'm sorry from Fox News, but because the other uh, media outlets were not going to challenge them on it. This is how Rupert Murdoch has gotten away with his News Corp deal on the other side of the pond. You know, when what is the uh, prime minister's the one of the, not not Cameron Blair wasn't he a prime Tony minister? Tony Blair. Mm-hmm. Tony. Do you realize that Murdoch's he is best Murdoch's goddaughter, godfather? And what uh-huh. does that to me that say speaks volumes to the, the the level of influence and control Murdoch has had, not just over in England, but here in the United States. And between the the the, the co-opting of the media and framing the narrative and keeping everybody thinking that up is down and down is up and whites are the oppressed and blacks are the racist. You know, you you have a situation of total chaos. They vilified government to a point where the the people of the country have no confidence in it. So therefore, they are against it. Government is bad. Yep. Ronald Reagan started that spiel a little while back. Yep, yep. Hey, Alpha, thank you so much for your comments. I think that you're right on it, and you've really done a wonderful job in, in bringing me to a segue of what I want to talk with Chauncey DeVaga about, and that is this whole phenomenon of white victimology. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not getting it. Thanks so much, Alpha. It's a pleasure. Um, Chauncey, I do want to talk to you about uh, this whole notion that you've been writing, you've been doing a lot of writing about it, and it's the right-wing victimology that somehow 
this uh, in the era of Obama. White people, whiteness, right wing, wealthy people are now the victims. I mean, if white folk are losing, I don't want to see who's winning. Is my refrain on this. <laughs> that- uh, but I just want to take one one very quick step back because our caller, he raised something, and it's a pregnant thought that, that I just can't let go. So on one hand, this is what I do on my website, you know, in my conversations being a black pragmatist. I try to hold black folk accountable when necessary. I hold white people accountable when necessary. I try to be equal and fair. Um, but my concern is this, and I, and, I, and I get in this trap sometimes too, where I say, you know, what are black folk doing wrong? How come we're not out in the streets marching? Yes, as Lonnie Guineer famously said, we are the miners' canary, right? We are ahead on issue positions. We are the moral conscience of the country. We more often than not speak truth to power and get our butts whooped because of it, right? So we make it possible for other people to be brave with us. But my worry is that we've got to put this in a context. This isn't a black problem. This is an American problem. Right? The same political culture, the same processes of socialization that produced a situation where BET, corporate-owned, is somehow black entertainment television where space aliens are watching it. They would think all the black people do is abuse women in bad rap videos and tell horrible jokes. Somehow becomes a proxy right, for, uh, for black, uh, the black public sphere and how we are sort of presented publicly. Um, and I was thinking about BET, sort of a tangential thought. I mean, you remember this. BET used to show news. And black yes. folks weren't watching the news, and they had that's, to take that's, it off. That's where Tavis right? Smiley grew up and Gordon smart. grew up. That's right. right. So my concern is, yeah, I'm hard on black folks, but I think we have a national crisis here about citizen engagement, about what it means to be a full citizen, about demands on responsible government. This isn't just a, white, a black problem. This is a national problem because the same moment that's producing nonsense where black folk are the number one Twitterers, and instead of Twittering about real issues of public concern, we're Twittering about the basketball housewives and other nonsense, right, and about new oh, cars no. and about black what other trash me- TV. Yeah, or whatever mediocre, bad southern hip-hop artist is hot for the second, little bougie, little whoever, right? We could be using that to productive ends, but that same culture has also produced the white populist stupidity that would put a Rick Perry, a D student, as a possible nominee and a Christian nationalist who doesn't really believe in his country's constitution as a likely uh, candidate for the Republican Party. Or that would produce Sarah Palin, another white mediocrity, because that's what she is. She's bathed in this mediocre whiteness. So we have a cultural problem. So I'm all for getting to black folks, but this is a national problem. We need to ask ourselves, how did we go so wrong? Because I don't think it was a coincidence. This is all by design. It's not a conspiracy. This is about power. Power wants passive citizens who don't make demands, who go out and spend money, and who feed the beast. They don't want citizens who are actually engaged in challenging power. Mm-hmm. And we're falling for it. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're somehow thinking that we ought to be sitting around a table talking about Michelle Bachman and what she said, when Michelle Bachman, in fact, doesn't know herself what she said. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all waiting with bated breath about whether Sarah Palin will be a candidate for president. We're looking at a Rick Perry who is essentially coming to the debate without his hood. And we're and 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 we're giving serious thought to these people who have no serious thought. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, a person like I mean just the debate you did you watch the debate on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, it was, the, the, I call it yeah, a monster I mean, ball. It was a freak show. It, it, exactly. Uh, it was white trash TV. Um, if you, if you, and it started with Brian Williams. If you listen to Ron Paul, 
was in an absolute mental meltdown on national TV, spouting nonsensical, and this man was absolutely considered to be a serious thinking candidate. And you do wonder, you're making a wonderful point, because if you want to talk about how America is falling apart, these are the things that we ought to be looking at in looking at how this country is falling apart. I can't imagine that we have people who gave as many votes um, uh, in Iowa to Michelle Bachman. Mm-hmm. I just can't, in, in, the, in the straw poll. I, you, 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 those are the things that we ought to be, that we have to, to worry about in terms of how we frame our own priorities and our own communities in straightening up the issues of, uh, of, of addressing the privatization of our prisons, the prison industrial complex, voter suppression, new voter initiatives that are, co- that are legalizing poll taxes. Mm-hmm. I I I I I do want to I do want to talk to you about this whole notion that a Dick Cheney, who essentially is a war criminal, mm-hmm. and George Bush, a war criminal, and Condoleezza Rice, they've all written books and people are buying their books, and and they are not being held accountable for any of it. What what are the priorities that you you you? How do you see the landscape for us pragmatists? Us, well, um, I think we got to be pragmatists. Also, have to be realistic. Um, a lot of what we're seeing is old, right? Anti-intellectualism is not a new thing in American public life. The rise of the corporation and the way they've sharpened the knives with all this austerity politics stuff, where they're talking about cutting schools, cutting basic public services. I often I'm writing a piece on this now. Is the irony is that they tested and tried this stuff with black folk when they defunded public services in the 70s, destroyed American uh, central cities. So all this stuff that the global elites did in America to Amer- American you know, black and brown chocolate cities is what they're doing now for American people as a whole. But the irony is because race trumps class in this country. This is sort of talking, going back to your question about whiteness. When we think about how whiteness was produced in this country going back to the 17th century with Bacon's Rebellion, where white planters and elites realized, because back in the day, White folk and black folk were both indentured servants, right? There was an uprising. White elites realized that they could make black people permanent slaves. They could give white indentured servants their freedom and land and a gun. And these poor white folk, now enfranchised, would hate black people, right? So it's the okey-doke, right? The, 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 the folks at the top are winning by playing the folks at the bottom against each other. And as a pragmatist, we have to be, as I said, realistic. America is a country in decline. This is a, an empire that's in decline. We are, the United, we are the U.K. at the end of the 1800s, the beginning of the 1900s. This next century will be that of China. It's going to be that of India. So a lot of this sort of race baiting and white populism and Christian nationalism and just stuff that really shouldn't be part of legitimate public discourse is a symptom of a sick society. There's actually a piece that was in the New York Times two weeks ago, I believe, and the title was that America is suffering from an autoimmune disease that the dysfunctions we're seeing in our government are just like a body, a human body fighting off an autoimmune disease. So as pragmatists, we've got to say America's in decline. Where do we put our money? How do we start to understand the reality that the state is going to be retrenched and pulling back farther and farther and farther and farther? And how do we look out for our immediate self-interest? 
not to sound apocalyptic, but our children and our grandchildren are not going to be inheriting the country of their grandparents. And that's where a lot of this Tea Party, Take Our America stuff is coming from. They want Leave it to Beaver because in the time of Leave it to Beaver, they were the top dog. Black and brown people were quiet in their minds. Women knew their place. Uh, our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters stayed in the closet. So they have this twisted imagination that they want to return to. And as things get worse, they're going to act out more and more. And that's why, again, being very serious here, that's why I think it's fascinating when you see the FBI and Homeland Security saying, be on the lookout for white racial reactionary terrorists, right, because they are there and they are ready. And then Fox News and white folk who you know, feel like their privilege is put upon, who care about security when it's a black or a brown person or a quote-unquote Muslim or an Arab, right, all of a sudden get their panties in a bunch. When you start saying, you know, the chatter is suggesting it's going to be some Timothy McVeigh Part 2 who does something. So we've got to be on the lookout for domestic terrorism as well. Well, I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think that there is one segment on the other hand, and as the, as the early caller said, uh, I don't want to seem th- that um, particularly uh, conspiratorial, but I think that there is one group um, that has to keep uh, domestic terrorism acts in place uh, because that supports the fear-mongering. But on the other hand, I think there are some genuine people out there who have been sitting around um, uh, huffing jinkum (laughs) (laughs) and believe that they have a responsibility to do something about all of this nonsense. You know, I, I had a political ad uh, that was um, from the 1960s uh, that I played in one of these programs a couple of um, months ago, and it really talked and it really speaks to talking about how they gave black people, the Negroes, all of these benefits, and now look what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're protesting in the street. They're, you know, I mean, it's just an incredible, and I, I, I do think that that's what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. We're seeing so, it so clearly. I mean, that's straight out of the Republican handbook. I mean, that goes back to the Southern strategy, right? So when Lee Atwater famously said, as a Republican candidate, you have to use code words. You can't run around saying, quote, unquote, nigger, 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 and get people to vote for mm-hmm. you. So now what we talk about is states' rights, or we talk about states' budgets, or we talk about those people getting unearned benefits. So we have a ton of research on political psychology and what's called white racial resentment and its cousin, which is called symbolic racism. And symbolic racism is a fancy way of saying, hey, in the 21st century, when they talk about white supremacy and white racism, it's not that black people are less equal. um, It's about black folk having bad behavior. It's that Barack Obama wasn't born here. It's about welfare queens. It's about lazy black and brown people and illegal immigrants. And we're seeing all that stuff. So this is nothing new, right? So in this moment where you have a president who happens to be black, who's created all manner of anxiety and whiteness and the white conservative soul, you're going to see this acting out. You're going to see this hostility. And the scary part for me is that they use the language of white supremacy because it's so natural. But if you were to confront them, and here's how smart they are, now you're the racist. If you call out their signs and their emails, if you analyze their rhetoric, if you confront them about the racist language and demagoguery they use against the president, now you're the racist. But they can say and do anything they want without consequence, and that's what the real danger is. 
Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. We've got to take a break. For those of you out there who'd like to join our chatters, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. We've got YJ and Chicago Steppers in the house. Thank you for being with us. We have missed you. And Doc Don from out in Oklahoma. He is there duking it out with Alpha uh, in our chat room. This is our common ground, our guest tonight, the brilliant race analyst. Chauncey DeVaga. He's a mystery man from Chicago, and we're so pleased to have him. We'll be right back. TruthWorks Network, nightly call-in talk radio. It's the Black Voice Collaborative, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Works Network, Monday, Power Views, Reloading the Truth, the best of broadcast interviews in and around black media across the internet. Wednesdays, Architects of Change with Elvin Dowling and friends. Change, motivation, and inspiration, 9 p.m. Wednesday evenings, Architects of Change with Elvin Dowling and friends. Saturdays, just damn political pushback with the master daddy of all political thought, The Alpha Show with Alpha, 3 p.m. on TruthWorks Network. The truth must be spoken more than once. want to remind you, Monday through Friday, it's I Declare on Blog Talk Radio, good, solid talk that matters with Miss <laughs> India Declare, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights, 9 p.m., it's Enter the Lion's Den, and we invite you, encourage you to support independent talk media. To our common ground, kick ass, black, and bold talk radio that matters. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be speaking truth to power. Saturday, 10 p.m., our common ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast 
at a time. Having a problem carrying that laptop, that iPad, all that stuff? We've got the answer at Sister Bag by Fajira. You know, carrying your stuff and more stuff is the problem. We've got the solution. It's Sister Bag. Sister Bag. Get one today. They're sturdy and large enough to contain books, your laptop, and everything else that you want to carry with you. There's a large inside pocket for a cell phone, wallet, or keys, whatever you carry. You can use these bags for school, for work, for dress. They will soon be your best friend. bag comes in a variety of designs with wonderful, beautiful African fabric and the best of craftsmanship. And the bag is surely the bag to look for on your way out. Sisterbags.blogspot.com Matera designs sister bags for men as well. So get your brother bag. I'm Janice Graham, and I carry my sister bag. And I do want to tell you, I carry my sister bag while um, in Washington, D.C. at the King Memorial um, Monument on last Saturday. And I was stopped three times. Three times. They didn't ask me where I got my sunglasses. They didn't ask me where I got my shoes. But they wanted to know where I got that bag. And it's sisterbags.blogspot.com. Sister Fatira will hook uh, you up, whether you are a bike messenger or whether you just have a lot of stuff to carry. And one of the things that I really appreciate about this bag is that if you're going to put it on your shoulder, the shoulder strap is extra long so that you're not fighting with the strap. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground tonight. I'm glad to be back in the seat. And our guest tonight is the very brilliant mystery man from Chicago, Chauncey Devaga. And if you... Have not. Make it a habit. We are respectablenegroes.blogspot.com, alternateopensalon.com. He is a little bit of everywhere, alternate.org. You can find him on Facebook, and you should follow him. He is one of the brilliant voices of our time and I do want to say to you again Chauncey thank you so very much because you are writing prolifically uh I've been doing this work for 20 years this is our 20th year broadcasting at our common ground I've talked to loads and loads and loads of writers and you have come out of the box Uh, and we hope that we can continue uh, to be inspired and to aspire to think about these issues in the way 
that you lead us to do, and that is what a good writer does. You are destined to have to come out of anonymity at some point. But, you know, you mentioned before we went on break um, this whole notion of the media. Mm -hmm. What's your take on the black media? Yeah, you did. The black media, hon. First of all, I just want to thank you for those uh, very kind words and those compliments. you got to be careful. I may start actually believing them, but, I mean, I'm just one of many, many, many folk, and there are a lot of folk out there who do it much better, but I appreciate all the attention. So everybody should find a voice, and as I always try to say, speak truth to power and do your very, very best. But the black media, I mean, again, big question mark, right? So you mean the black independent media or the black corporate media? Because when we talk about the media in this country – I'm I'm talking about – there is – I guess you're, I'm talking about the traditional corporate media, the Afro newspaper, the Jet magazines, the Ebony, um, the Amsterdam News, and I don't know if you call those corporate or not, mm-hmm. uh, the Bay State Banner here in Boston. I mean, Mel Miller has been at it as long as I've been in Boston, and I've been in Boston almost 40 years now. So... Um, are they doing the job? I mean, for instance, I am. I want to pick up the phone and call Mel Miller and say, "Hey, I got a, I got a blogger, and you need to be running his blog in your newspaper." Mm. Because they seem to be doing. I mean, I, I have this saying all the time: uh, you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be doing the same thing. I mean, Not print media is in print media is in trouble in general, right? So print media is dying in this country, and it's a great loss because, as you well know from your years uh, in working with the medium, is that newspapers allow you to cover a story in depth and develop it in a way that you can't do online and that you can't do on TV. So some of our greatest, as I said, you know, the Washington Post Top Secret America piece was just an amazing piece of journalism. It took them months and yeah. months uh, to do it. They spent millions of dollars, and you just don't see reporting like that anymore. Um, uh, sort of thinking about newspapers and the media, they exist in a, a political context, right? So we're sort of talking about what are the types of stories that the black press are covering in this age. Well, we're in a moment where, ironically, the stakes are extremely high politically for black folk, for brown folk, for the working poor, for the middle class. But we live in an oddly apolitical environment. We don't have any great leaders. There are no more people's movements. People are exhausted. And my worry about the black press, especially, you know, the greats like the Amsterdam News, the Chicago Defender, is, yeah, they have to change with the times, but their readership is aging. They're getting older, right? They're declining over time. And younger mm-hmm. folk, number one, because they didn't grow up reading the newspaper. I remember my parents made me read the newspaper, thank God. They don't grow up with that habit and routine. They're immersed in social media, and they take that as a substitute. We can talk about this for real civic engagement, for real work with real you know, people that you meet and touch and talk to. Right? Online is cool, but can you bring down a government yeah. just being online? Can you really yeah. challenge power just being online? And I think going back to the corporate media point, we can't forget, that's why I sort of picked on BET earlier, that at this point I think it's three com- three companies that own all the, the vast majority of the media outlets in this country. Three. So you can only imagine the stories that we're not hearing and the way that uh, issues are being framed exactly. and how the discourse is, is being narrowed. So I think, yeah, there's a space for the alternative press, but I think they're struggling, and all papers are, in a moment where, as I said, it's oddly apolitical, but the stakes are so high. And they're not getting new readers because, as I said, people would rather be distracted. It's bread and circuses. They'd rather watch bad reality shows and Twitter and listen to their iPods all day 
that ask hard questions about public policy. So the conversations we're having, the folks who are listening to this show, the folks who are online writing and trying to do good work in terms of you know not running a raggedy blog that's just racism chasing 24-7, we're actually talking about something of substance, they're a niche. They're preaching to the converted. Mm-hmm. All right? So how do we mm-hmm. sort of get the, the median uh, voter, the 50th percentile person, Joe Q. Public? I just don't know. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, that I I have done for a very long time, and I've been online now for 18 years. Um, I started out, my first discussion group was the uh, one that came out of Duke University with uh, Lee Baker, uh, Afro-Am. Uh, and so we're celebrating our 18th year. Uh, as an African-American community discussing the events of the day. And one of the things that I am noticing is that we ha- we are not acknowledging the people that you just spoke of enough. So for those of you who really want to get into uh, pro- uh we are respectable Negroes and other very, very conscious, credible blogs. You can go to Our Common Ground and check out our directory of black blogs, of which those are two, Prometheus 6. I try to, as best I can, to pass on places and resources because this is Alternative Activist Empowerment Talk Radio, hoping that somebody will catch fire as you read uh, Chauncey DeVaga and um, and others. Chauncey, this has been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for me, and I thank you so very much for accepting our invitation to come to our common ground and share your views and be available to discuss some of these sometimes very painful, uh, even as pragmatic as as I am in my old age. Some of this stuff, this new stuff, the way it's rolling at us can be very, very painful. Uh, and I hope that you will join us many more times. And we do have a spot on TruthWorks for you if you ever got the, the urge. Oh, thank you for the, <laughs> the very kind invitation. Yeah, we we would like to have um guests come on we I do have a network. Mm-hmm. Um and there are some spaces open uh that I would like to fill with 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 good analysis, solid analysis, analysis where people can connect the dots as well as common sense. And we thank you so very much for joining us on on our common ground and we hope you'll come back and come back. Soon. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate the invitation. I'm sure we'll stay in touch. Okay, that was our brother Truth Beto at We Are Respectable Negroes, Chauncey DeVega. Thank you for being with us as we go out tonight. We are going to be sharing with you um a tribute, a pause to remember uh, all of us as victims of 911, as they call it. We hope that you and your family will be well. This is our common ground. We hope that you'll join us at TruthWorks Network. <laughs> 
on Monday night, uh, 10 p.m. And uh, we will be sharing with you a conference on black manhood. TruthWorks Network, Power Views on Monday night. Don't forget, Wednesday night, Architects of Change with Elvin Dowling and Friends. And on next Saturday, the Alpha Show. It's just the damn best political talk that you will get with Mr. Alpha at the microphone. He rocks the truth. He rocks it in a common sense way. I'm Janice Graham. It's been a pleasure to be with you tonight. And we hope that we'll see you next Saturday night, 10 p.m., where we speak truth to power and ourselves. Tonight on Our Common Ground, we join the nation as we approach remembering the victims, the events, and the circumstances under which more than three million lost their lives, catapulting us into three wars. Join us for a moment of silence, and we leave you with this. top of the building and as fire crews are descending on this area it, it it does not appear that there's any kind of a, an effort up there yet now remember oh my god oh my god that looks like a second plane there i didn't see a plane go in that that just exploded i just saw another plane coming in from the side you did i did that was out of yes, and that's the second explosion you could see the plane come in just from the right-hand side of the screen. So this looks like it is some sort of a concerted effort to attack the World Trade Center that is underway in downtown New York. Did you hear the explosion oh, from yes. your position? Yes, we did. As a matter of fact, we we heard it and and because I was just like standing there pretty much looking out the window, I didn't see what caused it or if there was an impact. So you have no idea right, right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> Right. Oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Flew right into the middle of it. Explosion. My God, it's right in the middle of the building. This one into the east tower. Yes. Yes. Right in the middle of the building. And right now, that, yes, that was definitely looked like it was on purpose. You saw a yes, plane? Yes, I just saw a plane go into the building. As a result of, of this terrible, terrible incident, we're going to be talking to more eyewitnesses coming up in just a few minutes.
We are back at 9 o'clock Eastern time on this Tuesday morning, and we're back with dramatic pictures of an accident that has happened just a short time ago. You're looking at the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan, where just a few minutes ago we're told that a plane, some reports are that it was a small commuter plane, crashed into the upper floors of one of the Twin Towers. You can see fire and flames or smoke billowing from that tower. There is a gaping hole on the north side of the building. That's the side you're seeing to the left-hand side of your screen right now and other damage to the west side of that building which is to the right side of your screen this of course happened just before the morning commute before people were heading into their offices and while I'm sure some people were already at work immediately there's speculation or cause for concern this is the World Trade Center that was the center of a terrorist bombing right. some years ago so the questions have to be asked was this purely an accident or could this have been an intentional act but either way extensive damage has been done to this building. It also looks like there's smoke coming out of the east side of the building. That shot we just saw looks like white smoke billowing out the side of the east side of the building. Obviously, horrified commuters were, were absolutely devastated when they heard this explosion. We talked with somebody a moment ago about that, Jennifer Oberstein, and also another eyewitness, Elliot Walker, who is actually a producer here on the Today Show. Elliot, can you hear me? Yes, hi, Katie. Hi, Elliot. Tell me where you are and what you saw. Well, I live in this area. I've returned to my apartment, but I was walking down the side walk, delivering my young daughter to school, and uh, we heard a very loud um, sound, the kind of sound you hear when a plane is, is uh, you know, going fast past you, followed by an enormous crash um, and an immediate explosion. Um, I don't think we could feel shockwaves, but we, we sort of felt like we did. And we were in a position where we could see um, the Trade Center almost immediately between the other buildings. Um, and an enormous fireball that must have been 300 feet across was visible immediately. Um, a secondary explosion, I think. And then plumes of smoke. There must, be, there must have been a three-block cloud of, of white smoke. Now, from where I was on the street a moment ago, you can, in fact, see smoke leaving the building on three sides. It seems to be coming out on at least four or five floors. Um, the air is filled with hundreds of thousands of pieces of paper that are just sort of floating like confetti. Um, the area is swarmed with emergency vehicles um, and sirens. Have you Obviously, seen... we're very sensitive to this kind of thing in this neighborhood. Elliot, have you, of course, because of the incident that occurred in the early 1990s, have you seen any any evidence, Elliot, of, of people being taken out of the building? You say that emergency vehicles are there, understandably so, but of course the major concern is oh their loss. I mean, do you know if there were many people in the building? Oh, another time? one just hit. Something else just hit. A very large plane just flew directly over my building, and there's been another collision. Can you see it? I yes. can see it on the shot. Oh, my. Something else has you just... We that just saw a like plane a circling the building. It is in the other building. We just saw a plane circling the building a second ago on the shot right before I that. I think there may have been another impact. Can you tell? I just heard another very loud bang and a very large plane that might have been a DC-9 or a 747 just flew past my window, and I think it may have hit the Trade Center uh, again. To be, to be honest, Elliot, I didn't, I didn't get the impression that it was that big a plane. It looks big from here. I did see a plane go by a second ago, though, and it, it, it has now impacted the building. I'm yeah. trying to see if it's the different tower. Yeah, I it think is. it may it's have been. I believe tower. the first one was World Trade Center 1, and it looks from what I'm seeing on the television like it may have been the second see, building. This is a piece of tape 
and we may actually see another plane enter the picture here in a second. I wonder if there are air traffic control problems. Let's go back to Jennifer Oberstein, who was talking to a second ago. Jennifer, did you see this happen? Hello, Did Jennifer? you just see this happen, Jennifer? Matt, I, I've never seen any, it looks like a movie. I saw a large plane, like a jet, going immediately headed directly into the World Trade Center. It, it, it just flew into it, into the, into the other tower coming from south to north. I watched the plane fly into the World Trade Center. It was a jet. It was a very large plane. It was going south. It went past the Ritz-Carlton Hotel that's being built in Battery Park. It went flew right past and almost hit it and then went in. This is so shocking, of course, to everybody watching. I, I've never seen anything like it. It literally blew itself into World Trade Center. Obviously, now we, we move from what, what appears to have... There it is right there. Again, I'm looking from south to north, that, and it went into the, the one on the right. That appeared to be at least a 727. We saw it a second ago. Here, it, here comes the videotape that we, we just showed you. You will see what appears to be a large plane. It could be a 727 right there, maybe even bigger, flying right into the side of the World Trade Center. It was at least a 727. I, it was a jet. I couldn't believe my eyes watching it right above me. And, and now you, you have to move from talk about a possible accident to talk about something deliberate that has happened here. We're going to immediately check with air traffic control in the area to find out if they had contact with either of these planes before the accident, but what we've just seen is, is about the most shocking videotape I've ever seen. What are the odds of two separate okay. planes hitting both towers? And it's not was. I am here and I'm stuck right now. Now you are you above Jim or below? I have no idea. I have no idea where the plane hit. I'm, it's my understanding that it's a plane. Jim, um, there are two planes. One went into one tower. One went into the other tower. What, is, what do you see around you? I mean, are you in, are you in smoke? Are you in fire? I mean, the, the first thing that I want to make clear is that I'm stuck on the 86th floor. Um, a fire door has trapped us. Debris has fallen around us, and part of the core of the building is blown out. How many people are with you, Jim? I'm with one other person, and I'm told that people are aware of this. I'm on the 86th floor on the east side of the building facing the East River. And what time did you I'm on the air. I want to tell anybody that has a family member that may be in the building that the situation is under control for the moment, and the danger has not increased. So please, all family members, take it easy. Jim, one of our producers, too, if you'd call um, NYPD and let them know exactly where Jim and that other person is standing, 86th floor. 86th floor on the east side of the building facing the river. Okay, thank you, Jim. Um, there are two what of time, us here. Okay, Jim, we're trying to, uh, to try to make sure that we can alert everybody, and, and also it's good that you did mention that families should, to some extent, uh, to have some calm right now. What time did you get to work? I got to work around 8 o'clock this morning, and, and I think this happened around 8.45. It did. Describe mm -hmm. what you felt. I, I felt in a, I felt just the whole building. I heard a noise, felt the whole building shake, and saw glass blown out. The glass on my floor was blown out from the inside of the building out mm -hmm. rather than the exterior windows being blown out. And what glass was fully shattered, and just the core of the building, uh, and the interior core of part of the building collapsed. Hello? Uh, we just want to pass it. Jim, hang right there with one second. Uh, for folks that are in New York City, all bridges and tunnels in and out of the city have now been closed by the NYPD. I'm sure security uh, measures so to, to be taken if perhaps there are folks that are still in the city that are suspects.
fire stairs are blocking our, our exit. I don't know where the stairs are, but I couldn't get to it enough. I would want to pass the debris on my own without it. Patricia and I, the elevators are blown out. There's a pathway in between. I'm talking to uh, In the meantime, let's go back to Jim Dolan uh, as we talk about what just happened, Jim.
thank you for being with us. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 